In this episode of Tim Talk, we discuss how to create a welcoming environment for gender transitioning adults with Samantha Parody, family nurse practitioner. Thank you for joining us for Tim Talk. I'm Tim Dentry, President and CEO of Northern Light Health. I am so glad that you are tuned in because together, through meaningful dialogue, we can work to break down barriers, embrace diversity, and focus on issues of racial, social, and medical justice within our health system and the broader communities that we serve. Today, we have a very special guest to help us talk about the T in LGBTQ+. Samantha Paradis is a family nurse practitioner in Fort Fairfield who is working to help create a more welcoming environment for transgender citizens. Thank you for joining me here today, Samantha. Thank you so much for having me. Samantha, I'd like to start this conversation by asking the same question to you as I have your colleagues who have recently joined us on Tim Talk. And as someone who identifies as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, what can you share about your experiences as both a consumer of healthcare and as a professional working in the healthcare sector? Because you, you have both of those um, responsibilities and talents, if you will. But before you answer, I just want to step back a second and a couple of things. One is I felt so uncomfortable, to be honest, by saying LGBTQ plus community as if it's one community. So maybe give the listeners a greater sense of what's, what does it mean by the transgender community or what does transgender mean to you or another way to sort of make it more understandable to, to our, our listeners that maybe do not have an understanding. So that's something I'd like you to think about. I also want to make an admission. In previous Tim Talks, I felt that I had a lot to learn from my colleagues, just like I've already learned a lot from you, Samantha, when we talked last week, and I'm going to, I know, learn even more from you right now, today. But in the other colleagues that I spoke with, I felt like I, well, had a basic understanding of the issues of bias and the need for greater equality for people of color and gays and lesbians. But I admit that I have less of an understanding of my transgender colleagues, and I want to understand more. Would you give our listeners a frame of reference and so that we can start with with that so people really have a greater feel for what we're talking about? Absolutely. So I identify personally as non-binary, which is a identity that is within the transgender community. And transgender is used to describe people whose gender identity differs from the sex they were assigned at birth. And so for me, I was assigned female at birth, but I identify more non-binary gender queer. I don't feel like I fit in that identity that was assigned to me. And so in regards to that, I choose to use the pronouns they, them. Although, you know, folks within the transgender community choose different pronouns that fit them. They, them, he, her, she, his. And there may be a number of different ways that even people within the transgender community identify themselves. Trans male to female, as they're transitioning from uh, one identification, they were assigned male at birth, they're identifying to a, transitioning to identify as female. Um, but not all transgender folks will transition. For myself, you know, I'm 
comfortable and feel well in the presentation that I have. I don't take gender-affirming hormones, and I've not had gender-affirming surgery because I feel like my body fits who I am. It's more of um, not fitting into the binary that I was assigned to at birth. And so that's a little bit about me and, um, and my identity. It has been new for me in that I first identified as queer and still do as far as my sexual orientation. And so sexual orientation differs from gender identity. And sometimes that's confusing for folks because like I can use queer to identify both my gender and my sexual orientation. And for me, it just means that I'm, I'm outside of this cultural norm, both in my sexual orientation and my gender orientation or my gender identity. And so when I first identified as queer, you know, being out and sharing that with my family members and people becoming comfortable with it, that was a process for me. And now with my gender identity, um, non-binary, gender queer, it still is a process of telling family members, you know, please use they, them when you refer to me. You know, most people are meaning well, but they may not have any idea that that when I share this with them, it means that they should make an immediate change um, in, in how they refer to me. Because it's so ingrained in our, in our minds that gender is a binary. That is um, very enlightening. And you touched on points that I, I did not understand. And now you, you put it in such a, uh, a way that I think all <laughs> of us can really gain from that. So thank you. Thank you for that. So my first question then is, again, let me just r- repeat the experience as both a consumer of healthcare and as a professional working in the healthcare sector. So, so now, that, now that people have a clear understanding of, of who Samantha is, we want to listen to you. I want to, I want everyone to understand as a provider of care and as a consumer of healthcare, mm-hmm. what have your experiences been? So my experience has been there's, um, you know, with, even within our systems, it's sometimes hard to identify what we would like as preferred pronouns or what we would like as our gender markers whether it's in the EMR or in our licenses um, through the state of Maine or other identifications that are really important to be able to you know, live and work. And so it's been great to see some of those changes happening over the last few years. To think about now, I think in Maine, you, there is an option for non-binary folks on the license, and we're hoping to change our EMR. So these things are changing, they're coming, and it's really great. And then individually as my own self, like having to learn how important pronouns are. I don't always get it right either. And being able to have that humility when I'm interacting with patients, family members, friends, and saying, you know, you're, you're changing your pronoun and I want to respect that and I plan on doing that, but I may, I may not get it right all the time. But I, if I don't get it right, I will correct myself and work on making that better. Thank you. That's that's really excellent. I love those words, being able to have that humility. And you know what? That's one of my big lessons learned thus far in opening up these kinds of dialogues is I find myself uh, leaning on my own sense of humility even more so. Because if you lean the opposite direction, you'll lean, you'll, you'll build a wall, you'll create a wall, you'll create a gap, you'll create friction, you create un spoken kinds of things may be spoken. That's a slippery slope, right? 
Absolutely. And especially for people who identify as transgender and that, you know, even coming to access care, there are so many obstacles um, in getting into the door, you know, um, whether it's their insurance company is not recognizing um, their chosen gender or something didn't get billed correctly because now they are listed as male, but they are having what we typically would see as female screenings done. So there are a lot of obstacles just from the get-go for patients who identify as transgender. And so we can say, I want to be able to provide the best care for you. And sometimes I'll need your help to correct and correct me, or I will correct myself. And I'll also do research in, in order to be able to provide the best care for you. And this is much of your work that you're doing right now within Northern Light, right? Yeah. So I do provide primary care for transgender folks. I don't prescribe uh, hormones typically because we have a partner in our community through main family planning uh, where I will send uh, patients to their office for the gender affirming hormones. But I do provide an office environment that's welcoming for transgender um, folks, or at least try to, to, to create that environment. And it's, it's really great to meet people within our community, even in, in such a rural community, to see the LGBTQ community um, that's, that's really thriving. And it's great to be a part of it. You know, we, before COVID, had been planning on uh, organizing a pride in Arista County. And now there are still um, gatherings uh, locally and connections with youth through the Boys and Girls Club. So it's, it's really great to see all of this happening. I can only imagine that a patient that walks into your office for the first time, perhaps the first time that they are taking that first step, you know, in their journey and everything that they probably have been struggling with, et cetera, or coming to terms with that. And they want to, they're, they're so hopeful that they're going to be placing their care, their life, their identity into the hands of a caregiver that can really care and really give. And I can only imagine that when they walk in and they experience working with you as the caregiver, it, it, just, it must be just the most wonderful thing that's happened in that person's life. So I just want to th- see what you think about that, but I also just want to thank you from the deepest part of my heart that you know, we talk about having a culture of caring, and really making sure that the experience is good. And, you know, we have primary care access and, you know, all these things I talk about all day long, you know, but that kind of connection for what is really important to the patient, that we don't predetermine what's important to a patient. But so they're walking in and they're being cared by you. And what's that, what's that moment like? Yeah, I've had several meetups with uh, new patients recently because I've become known in the community as a member of the transgender community and, and a provider. And it's hard to describe. It's it's almost as though we're both being seen for the first time in, in a healthcare environment, you know, for who we are. And that's an important part of ensuring equitable LGBTQ care is making sure that people are seen for who they are meeting folks and using their chosen name, not using their dead name, which is a, is a term that we use for a name that somebody is no longer using, that they were assigned to by their parent at birth or whatever it was, but we don't use 
the dead name, even though it's listed sometimes on the chart because it can't be changed unless they've changed their um, insurance or they've, ch- they've gone through all of these, this process. And so that dead name may still be listed on their chart. And sometimes MAs will go into the waiting room and use that name because it's what's listed on the chart. And so if a transgender person is, any, uh, is scheduled with me the day of in the morning during huddle, we'll check in with the MAs and say, please use the patient's chosen name which is listed in parentheses. And also we talk about their preferred pronouns. So those two simple things show so much respect and humanity for the person that we're seeing that it means that we can open up a door to much more of what they need for their care. Thank you. That's, that's great. My question number two. So I consider myself a well-meaning person. I consider myself very open-minded. I consider myself an ally and absolutely want to use the, you know, use this pulpit, if you will, that I'm in as CEO of this complex health system to reinforce our love for one another equally everywhere in every aspect of that. And I'm also human and I also make mistakes and I'm also humble, like I said. So as this well-meaning ally, how can I work to use the correct pronouns for folks and use gender neutral and inclusive language? Yeah, it's not easy because it requires a change. And what I've talked to even my mom about is practicing. So practicing using the gender neutral pronoun they when you visualize the person who uses that pronoun. It might be especially useful right before you're about to see the person. And then what I'd got in the practice of doing was using the gender pronoun they, which is neutral, when I meet someone new before they've told me what they identify as, whether they identify as male, female, transgender, non-binary. So I try to use the gender neutral term they and in reference to someone else when I first am meeting them before I know what their chosen pronouns are. And then when addressing a group of people, um, using pronouns you haven't gender neutral neutral language um, for groups of people, such as siblings rather than brothers or sisters, and then friends, folks, y'all, rather than guys, ladies, ma'am, or sir. And so, so many times people are referring to me as ma'am, like, I mean, countless times throughout the day. And I sometimes will correct people, but it after a while, it's tiring to say after every response, actually, I don't use ma'am. I would prefer you didn't call me ma'am. In order to avoid that um, entirely, you know, if we can get away from using gender-specific terms, that is um, that would be helpful for the LGBTQ community. And then in describing someone that you're wanting to address, like if you were in a room, I know we're not in rooms typically now with COVID, but... <laughs> Using descriptive language, um, if you don't know the person's gender or pronouns, such as, can you give this paper to the person across the room with a white t-shirt and short brown hair? So rather than saying, can you give this to the woman sitting at that table over there? Because we can, we can make an assumption about a person's gender so quickly, but what they present and what we assume are not always matched with how the person is identifying. Very good. Thank you so much. That is good to, good to talk yeah, with you about absolutely. this and, and gain a, a deeper understanding myself. And hopefully our, our listeners have, 
have uh, gained as well. So, Samantha, what would you like to ask me? Yeah, I'm wondering, Tim, what are ways we can improve our work and care environments that you see um, so that members of the trans community may feel comfortable, feel more comfortable working here and accessing care within our healthcare system? Yeah, thank you. I think there's there's really two basic uh, components of the of that answer. Number one is is really show a constant for all people. So we had our, our equality, inclusion, and justice uh, committee meeting, and it was really fabulous. And so we had a whole Zoom wall, and we had all sorts of different perspectives and identities, etc. And we're we're saying, okay, this is what we stand for. We stand for inclusivity and social justice and medical justice, racial justice. Now, so back it up and prove it. What are we going to do? And it's not a flip of the switch. We are going to do it, but the total solution won't be there tomorrow. So part of this is it's a long journey that we're on right now. But my promise is that every day we're going to be working on this and talking about it. So that's number one. And we need to show that it's an inclusive effort. So it truly is all individuals within Northern Light. And so we don't want anyone to feel excluded, devalued whatsoever. We want everyone to feel valued. So the way we talk about, therefore, uh, particular um, groups and identities and communities, et cetera, is first let's set that stage and let's set the stage of what we're doing right now. Let's talk. Let's understand. Let's have a mutual, you know, under, understanding. So it's okay to talk about this because nobody knows has all the answers of how this is going to be, you know, best done. So then, though, try to heighten specific awareness. Like that's why I'm so glad others suggested that you would be part of this podcast and that we would have this talk um, because we're just starting. Therefore, I guarantee you, if uh, you know, hopefully a thousand or more people will listen to this this podcast, but they're going to be a lot the wiser because of that, more the wiser because of that. So we need to heighten awareness. We need to talk about things that we normally do not talk about. And and furthermore, so, so we, we have a, a lot to learn along those lines, and we're going to come up with ways to, what does that mean, heighten awareness? What is the community that is the transgender community that is within Northern Light family? What are the kinds of things that we need to do better, listen better, show better, demonstrate better, reinforce better, all of that? So we, so that movement is underway um, uh, of open dialogue. The other thing, though, is clinical equality, and I'm really excited about that, that the medical equity point of view, you know, across the country, there are all sorts of studies and things, but everyone is now talking about that. I was just on a call. We have a clinical affiliation with Massachusetts General Hospital. I was on that call this morning. We were talking about clinical equality issues and what they are doing about it and a lot of the studies that they're doing and research, and we said we want to be part of all of that. Let's learn what Mass General is learning. So therefore, you know, convey those lessons learned in a better way to engage and a better way to provide openness uh, for, for our colleagues here in the transgender community. And that it's not only our, our, our colleagues, our staff colleagues, but it's also those we care for. So hopefully that will be something for you as a provider uh, to the transgender community that it would be something that they will be able to benefit from as well. Thank you so much for that answer. And it leads 
pretty easily into my next question about how um, how can Northern Light Health partner with community organizations? So I'm I'm really great grateful that we're partnering with larger organizations like Mass General, but locally also um, within the state of Maine, I know uh, Maine Transnet is an organization that's community based, led by transgender people for transgender people providing peer-to-peer group support and social and community events. And I'm wondering what are ways that we can partner with organizations with our state to ensure that we are connecting with people within the trans community? Yeah, great question. And I'll, I'll give you some examples, and then I'll get back to your specific question on Maine Transnet. I believe that as we take these kinds of uh, public positions and as we increase our transparency on these kind of dialogues and discussions and what we're doing, that more organic uh, partnerships and, and alliances and, and that kind of thing come up. And two I can cite. One is with the, from the public side, the state uh, Department of Health and Human Services. I've already started the conversation with them because they knew that we were starting this movement here. And they said, wow, Tim, you know, you're the health system that's been more proactive on this. Everyone has a letter that's gone out, but who's taking action as a result? And so, you know, medical justice is a big thing for them. And uh, so can we work together? And so that's one. Uh, Second is we are part of the Maine Justice Foundation. And, And I've been asked to serve on the advisory committee. And there are 21 corporations or 21 entities uh, that are represented. And we are, the, the, the goal is to provide funding for individuals and, and organizations that are trying to make a difference in racial justice in the state of Maine. So that organically came up and the connection with Northern Light organically came up because we're saying this is what we stand for. So therefore, getting back to Maine Transnet, I offer you on the air right now the <laughs> opportunity to help make that link. You send to me more background information <laughs> on what it means, what you'd like to see, what kind of services we could partner on, and I'll make sure I, I hand that to um, the right person you know, in our leadership teams uh, that will be uh, on point and responsible for that. That's amazing. I'm so um, grateful to be working for Northern Light Health. And I know I've said this before, but it's amazing to see that folks have a voice and that you're listening and that you're not only listening, you're taking the next steps to back what you're saying to make change over the long term. So you're, you're making immediate change by hosting these podcasts. So um, people can hear about members of different communities that they may not be a part of. And then following that up with how can we take next steps. And um, I actually I have a meeting set up to meet with Quinn, the executive director of Maine Transnet, later this week because we, we're, we're friends. <laughs> the trans community is, is small. <laughs> and so I reached out to them before, um, before talking with you to ask, you know, what is um, – you had, had a specific question about how many people are accessing gender-affirming surgery in Maine. And Quinn wasn't exactly sure, but stated that now it's been harder to find um, providers that are accepting main care for people who identify as transgender and need care. And so that's been the biggest obstacle recently is finding providers for patients that accept their, their main care insurance. But yeah, more to come on that. And I'm so glad that we were able to have that discussion about um, 
local connections. I really think it's great that you were a part of the, is it Maine Justice? Maine Justice Fund, yeah. Uh, racial, excuse me, Racial Justice Fund in Maine, yes. That's amazing. Thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And thanks for that example. And you know what? Think about that. You know, if we do organically connect and partner that way, and there are individuals that do not know how they're going to access such unique and specialized and rare, obviously, services from an access point of view, and then we can help make that happen because we've joined forces. Isn't that why we all chose to go into healthcare in the first place? Absolutely. And these conversations are just opening the door for um, folks within our uh, Northern Light community to connect with each other and um, even folks in the outside community. It's, it's, that, it's that initial, we're talking about this and want to hear more. It's, it's, it really is helping to create that welcoming and caring environment that we are committed to. So, Samantha, thank you. I feel like I have a new colleague, new friend, and, and new understanding, and, but I'm just starting <laughs> Thank you for joining me here to continue the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'd be happy to, um, if anybody had any questions, if they're listening to this podcast and they wanted to email me, I'd be happy to follow up with folks after this. That's terrific. That's terrific. And also thank you to our podcast listeners. Samantha, once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Until next time. I'm Tim Dentry, encouraging you to listen and act to promote our culture of caring, diversity, and inclusion. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tim Talk. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to learn more about this subject, you can find additional information at northernlighthealth.org podcast.